Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. The show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday and Thursday evenings, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also hear the show on a number of platforms, including Podomatic, iHeart, Spotify, Amazon, and a whole bunch of others. So anyway, this show is brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among all things, runs a week-long family camp. And this year's camp, uh, I should say next year's camp, July 17th to the 22nd, and you can learn more about that, uh, learn more about our show um, by visiting our website. I mean, I should say our summer camp by visiting our website, campconstitution.net. Well, we have a guest on the line, and that would be Dr. William Federer. How are you doing? Hey, great to be with you. Excellent. Well, uh, a little background. Uh, we were at the F My People rally at the Pilgrim Forefathers Monument in beautiful uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts, back in October, and I got a chance to meet you. I've been... Uh, I should say a fan of yours or a reader of your many books for a number of years, and I was so delighted to finally get a chance to meet you. And so if you could uh, tell the listeners a little bit about your background. Sure, yeah. I have books uh, on history and actually did one on Christmas and do a daily radio feature called American Minute and then a television program called Faith in History that airs on direct TV and over the internet uh, through the TCT network. And I, my first book, America's God and Country Encyclopedia of Quotations, came out in 94 and it sold a half a million copies. And um, I've been doing uh, speaking across the country for several decades. So it's, it's great to be with you today. Well, we, uh, we love, to, love having you. And I think one of the uh, most important issues, obviously, of the day is the nation's history and its founding. And today there are a lot, there's a lot of misinformation about our founders, that they were deists, that they were secular humanists. I even heard uh, more than a few people say that the, uh, some of them were Satanists, which I thought was so absurd. Uh, and a lot of folks, some people fall for this. And they'll also say that our Constitution was not a Christian-based document. And I know if you've written extensively on that, uh, for example, uh, uh, the original 13, a documentary history of religion in America's first 13 states. So can you, can you uh, refute that? Sure. So a little background. Uh, Western Europe was Catholic, and then the Muslims invade and surround Vienna, Austria in 1529 with 100,000 Turks uh, led by Suleiman the Magnificent, and the Catholic Holy Roman Emperor is Charles V of Spain, and he has double duty. He has to take care of his Spanish empire, which includes Austria and Holland and 
the new world. But he also is supposed to defend Europe against Islam. And this title, Holy Roman Emperor, goes back to Charlemagne, goes back to Charlemagne's grandfather, Charles Martel, that stopped the Muslims from invading France at the Battle of Tours in 732 A.D. Known as the Hammer, right? Yeah. Right. Charles Martel, the Hammer. And so we have the situation from King Charles V's perspective is he has a Muslim invasion on the outside. And in 1517, Martin Luther started a division of his Holy Roman Empire on the inside. And he tries to stop both. And after years, realizes he can't. And so in 1555, he makes a deal with the Protestants. It's called the Peace of Augsburg. And in this Peace of Augsburg, is a little Latin phrase that had enormous repercussions. The phrase was simple. It was cuius regio, eus religio, which means whose is the reign, his is the religion. In other words, look, Protestant king, believe whatever you want in your kingdom. Let's just work together against this Islamic invasion because they sort of want to kill us all. And so it worked. It stopped the Islamic invasion. But in the next century, different kings believed different things. And so in northern uh, Germany and Sweden, it was Lutheran. Switzerland was Calvinist. Scotland was Presbyterian. Holland was Dutch Reformed. England was Anglican. And Italy, France, Spain, Austria, Poland remained Catholic. But it was this situation where it was one denomination per country. If you didn't believe the way your king did, you were persecuted as a heretic, as a traitor. Uh, And then you would flee. And so you had this mass migration of people shifting from one country to another simply for conscience sake. And those were the ones that were displaced and spilled over and founded colonies in America. And so we zero in on England. England has a king named Henry VIII. He originally is Catholic. He's married to the daughter of the King of Spain, Catherine of Aragon. And after 18 years, Catherine does not have a son. So Henry decides to divorce her. The Pope won't recognize the divorce because she is, after all, the daughter of the most powerful guy in the world. And in 1527, the King of Spain's army invaded Rome and imprisoned the Pope for six months. So the Pope says no to the divorce. And Henry says, you know what? I'm far enough away from Italy. I'm just going to declare myself my own Pope. He starts the Church of England, puts himself on as the head, and he goes on to have six wives. And their fates were divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. So Henry VIII was not a really nice guy to be married to. Well, his editor suggested if he's serious about breaking from Rome, he should stop using that Latin Bible, get himself an English Bible. The German princes have Martin Luther's German Bible that helped them to break away. He needs an English Bible. Henry says, great, get me one. Well, it just so happens a few years earlier, Henry VIII had William Tyndall burnt at the stake for translating the Bible into English, but now he wants an English Bible. Uh, William Tyndall's last words were, get this, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And so now the King of England wants an English Bible. They basically take William Tyndall's work, polish it up. They call it the Great Bible. Henry likes it, orders a copy of it put in every church in England thousands and thousands of copies they call it the chained bible because it had to be chained to the pulpit it was so valuable they didn't want somebody walking off with it 
But this was the first time in history that the people of England, the common people, got to read the Bible in their own English language. And Henry dusts his hands and says, that's it. We have broken from Rome. We're no longer going to look to Italy in the Latin Bible. Well, something unexpected happened. People actually began to read this Bible and begin to compare what's in it to this king divorcing and beheading his wives and claiming to be the head of Christ's church on earth. And so a group starts that wants to purify the Church of England. They're nicknamed Puritans. And another group said it's beyond hope of purifying. We're going to separate ourselves. And so they call themselves separatists. And later they took the name of Congregationalists and Baptists and Pilgrims. And so the ones that we trace are the Pilgrims. And they're arrested. They're put in jail. They, uh, the king passed the um, conventicle act, where if you have five or more people meeting in your home when you're talking religion without approval of the government, you're criminals, and they'll break in your house and arrest everyone. That's when John Bunyan got arrested, and he spent 12 years in prison. And when they were dragging him out, he said, better to be persecuted than be the persecutor. And in prison, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, that famous book. And then they passed the Five Mile Act. If you're caught preaching within five miles of a town without approval of the government, you're a criminal and they'll arrest you. They'll drag you before the star chamber. It's a room in the government where it has stars on the ceiling. And anyway, they'll twist your arm and brand you on the face as a heretic with the letters SL for seditious liable. And they'll cut your ear off, even cut your nose in half. And, um, and so this was the setting. And these pilgrims decided to flee to Holland. Holland was a big empire. It uh, spent 80 years breaking away from Spain. And then Holland ended up having a navy that sailed the world and they were merchants. And so they had the Dutch East India Company and they captured Goa, India and Jakarta, Indonesia and an island off the coast of Japan and the spice islands of Nutmeg and, and cinnamon. And then they had New Amsterdam, which of course became New York and the different islands and Mediterranean and the Pacific. And so um, you had uh, this, you know, scenario going on. Uh, where the pilgrims decide they're going to flee to Holland. Holland was seven provinces that were working to break away from Spain. And they had a little give and take. They hated Spain so much they were put up with their differences in belief. And so they also were a little more liberal when it came to morality. So you had a little more religious freedom, but a little more immorality at the same time. And uh, so the pilgrims decide they're going to flee to Holland. And... Uh, after 12 years, they decided to flee to America, and they were going to land at Jamestown, which was an Anglican king-run colony, and they got blown off course and land in Massachusetts, and there was nothing there, and it was stormy and dangerous sailing, so the captain says, everyone off the boat, and the pilgrims say, well, who's going to be in charge? They do something unique. They give themselves the authority to start a government. It's called the Mayflower Compact. And it starts off, we, in the presence of God, covenant ourselves together to form a civil body politic, right? Uh, for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Yeah, of we covenant ourselves together to form a civil body politic. That was different than the rest of the world because the rest of the world is ruled by kings and government is the top down. It's the king through all of his appointed 
administrators and military is forcing his will on everybody down below. And this, in this womb of this little Mayflower, is the conception of this self-government where it's we. It's just us in, in this little boat, and we're going to decide what laws need to be passed, and we're going to agree to submit to the laws. It was revolutionary, and that became a model for the New England colonies and eventually our U.S. Constitution, which starts off, we the people. And so the, I think uh, it's the important to point out, too, um, that, oh, I'm sorry, that the compact no, said that the purpose is to promote the, uh, the advancement of the Christian faith on the, Mayf on the Mayflower Compact. Yes, and so every colony was started by a different Christian denomination. Virginia was Anglican. Massachusetts was Puritan. Rhode Island was Baptist. Maryland was originally founded by Catholics. New York was founded by Dutch Reformed. Uh, Canada and Vermont were originally founded by French Catholics. And Connecticut and New Hampshire were founded by Congregationalists. Delaware and New Jersey were originally Swedish Lutheran. And uh, I think I mentioned that New York was originally Dutch Reformed, and then Pennsylvania was Quaker. And they did not get along, and they would tar and feather each other, very similar to what was going on in Europe. Uh, but then, after a century, they decided they had to work together against the King of England so that they could each have freedom to believe the two. And uh, very similar to the Protestants and the Catholics working together to stop the Islamic invasion of Europe under King Charles V of Spain. And so in reading through all the colonial charters and documents, my thought is if one of the colonies felt like they were big enough to separate from England on their own, they would have been tempted to make their own denomination the national denomination for America. But for whatever reason, God had it so that none of the denominations were big enough on their own, so they were forced to work together. There's actually a quote from John Carroll, who was a Catholic, and he was the first bishop in America. His cousin Charles Carroll was the only Catholic to sign the Declaration of Independence. But John Carroll said, observing the Christian faith divided into so many different sects, that's S-E-C-T-S, sects, gave me the assurance that no one sect would become so predominant as to become the religion of the state. Thus, I jealously entered into the revolution with many others. So we drive down the street, see all the different churches, and we say, isn't this terrible? The body of Christ is divided. They drove down the streets, all the churches says, this is great free market. They're each going to vie for converts and they're going to keep each other in check so that no one denomination becomes the national one and uses the power of the state to force its will on everyone else. And so like a racetrack with 13 lanes and different horses running at different speeds, the different colonies advanced religious tolerance at their own speeds. So some states, you know, colonies, uh, had blue laws where everything was closed on Sunday. But other states didn't have blue laws, like Virginia, right? It was such a rural that you had to get in your carriage and you had to go for a long distance just to make it to church. And, um, and so you had the port states, New York, Pennsylvania, uh, you know, the... Uh, ones where a lot of immigrants were coming over, they would have different immigrants with different denominations flooding in 
And so they sort of loosened up a little bit. Other states in New England, they kept uh, Connecticut stayed a congregational state up until 1818. You could not hold office in Connecticut prior to 1818 unless you were a congregational Protestant. And Massachusetts had the Puritan Congregationalists established up until 1833. And those were two states that pushed the most for a First Amendment. They wanted to make sure that the federal government would not pick one denomination and make it the national one. That was the purpose of the First Amendment. And, um, and so these different states, when you read through the statistics at the time of the Declaration, 98% of the country was Protestant Christian about 3 million people, right? 1% of those was Catholic, about 30,000 Catholics in a country of 3 million people. Catholics were only allowed in three states originally, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and a little bit New York. And then there were only 3,000 Jews in a country of 3 million people. Only a one-tenth of 1% of America was Jewish. So it was a complete biblical, you know, Judeo-Christian country, but it was 98% Protestant, 1% Catholic. It wasn't until an Irish potato famine in the early 1800s that you had a flood of Catholics. And so I read through every constitution of every state. And in 1776, nine of the original 13 states had it in their constitution that you had to be a Protestant Christian to hold state office. Right. You know, North Carolina, everybody had to be of the Protestants in a Georgia, New Jersey, uh, you know, New York. And then you had three states that were Vermont. liberal. They, they said all you had to do. Well, Vermont was the 14th state. So it, it came right. in after the, the declaration. But um, but yeah, it, it, it in its original state constitution, Vermont required all office holders to be Protestant. And um, in fact, they, uh, and then Allen was urged to. Oh, I'm sorry, guy. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, yeah. Ethan Allen was urged to run for uh, either governor or some other position, and he was not a Trinitarian Christian. He was more, he himself was more of a deist. Uh, and so uh, they said, well, okay, we'll kind of overlook that. But he decided not to, after all. Yeah, and, and that was, he was definitely an anomaly. What, what happened was, during the colonial era, Many of the Anglican Congregationalist Puritan states were so strict that once the states broke from England and they began to, on their own speeds, remove the requirements to be a Protestant or to be a, a you know Christian, um, some of the people said, "Hey, this is great," and they didn't realize that there was more or less a ditch on the other side of the road. And that was the beginning of cults, the beginning of all kinds of deism and um, Unitarianism and universalism and all kinds of other stuff. Um, and so the uh, sort of like in Holland, right, you had the, the freedom of um, more freedom religiously, but there's more freedom for immorality. Right. And, and so once we broke from Britain, there was more freedom. Right. So you could be a Baptist and an previously Anglican state, and you think this is great, but you could also have <clears throat> new religions starting. And originally these new religions were considered within the sphere of Christianity. 
but then they began to, instead of being Trinitarian, they would say, well, like Abigail Adams, she called herself a Unitarian. But in her quote, she says, I believe that Jesus is divine, that he is the son of God. He's just not equal to the father. Well, hmm. th if that's what Unitarian was, you still believe Jesus was the son of God and still believed he was divine. That's a far cry from what we have today. Um, and then universalism. Oh, today they're basically thought, the communist. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'd the Unitarian you know, church today is basically a communist, uh, the homosexual social clubs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then the 1960s, you read the communist documents, they specifically targeted churches and uh, to to introduce their their agenda into America. There's it's, uh, Antonio Gramsci was this Italian socialist in 1930s, and he said, you can't defeat America on the battlefield. You got to rot it from within. And so he called it the long march through the institutions. And so you have to infiltrate the education, schools, media, uh, entertainment and churches. And you have to go in there and and dismantle each of them, deconstruction, and get them to abandon their principles. And then once that happens, sort of like during the Vietnam War, uh, their idea was get all of our troops, as many as they could, on drugs, right? And and mm -hmm. then they wouldn't be as effective on the battlefield. That was their strategy anyway. Um, and they brought the drug so, culture um, here in the 60s as well. Yeah. So I've, I've actually talked and debated uh, lawyers that have written books on the First Amendment. And then when I bring up, well, have you read the state constitutions? Their face goes blank. They're like, duh. Mm -hmm. It's like, hello, you got federal, you got state, right? Division of powers. It was the states that created the federal government. The big issues um, were the states were afraid they would be giving up too much power. And so they wanted to put 10 handcuffs on this new federal Frankenstein called the first 10 amendments. And anybody that reads the debates of the Continental of the Constitutional Convention, that's the main issue. Each state doesn't want to give up power. And so they wanted to prevent this federal government too powerful. And so religion was one of those issues that the states jealously held under their jurisdiction. And, um, and so to understand where religion fit in, you have to read the state constitutions. You had um, John Adams wrote the Constitution for Massachusetts in 1780. So it predates our U.S. Constitution by seven years. And so it's considered the longest still in use Constitution in world history, the Massachusetts the world, yeah. State Constitution. But in there, John Adams put that the state shall have a tax for the support and maintenance of public Protestant teachers of piety and religion. In other words, if we're going to get rid of a king who rules through fear and he keeps order because everybody's afraid of him, we're going to be ruled as a republic where it's going to be the people having morals and virtues. So that means we need to educate these people in the Bible. So it behooves the state to pay for Protestant teachers of piety and religion. And, um, and then you read New York. New York specifically said the freedom of religion shall not be so construed as to excuse acts of licentiousness. What's licentiousness? That's mm. sexual immorality. So you can't mm. say, hey, freedom, freedom of conscience, freedom of earth. I can go out and do all kinds of sexually perverted stuff. Today they flipped it on the head. Now they're saying that you have to embrace licentiousness, sexual immorality, in order to hold office. If not, oh, you're a terrible, hateful person. 
right? I mean, they've completely <laughs> taken things and flipped them on their head. Uh, their idea was well, that I the used population. To, I used to live in Massachusetts. Yeah, I just moved from Massachusetts to New Hampshire. But when these various laws were being passed, uh, decrim- you know, promoting the homosexual agenda, I would say to the elected officials, have you read your state constitution, which you took an oath to uphold, because you are violating the principles by promoting these types of, this, this type of behavior and this type of lifestyle. It's a clear violation of your oath. And they would never get back to me. They would never say, well, gee, I guess you're right. They, they they take these oaths, it, to them it's just a ceremony, which means nothing. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's, if they don't believe in God, they don't believe in absolute right and wrong, they don't believe uh, in keeping your word, all they care about is pushing their political agenda. Uh, it's a concept called consequentialism, where if you believe that the consequence of your actions define, is, fits into your definition of what is good, then you can do whatever you want to get there you want. lie cheat steal rape murder uh you know have a large body count list it's, it's the machiavellian the ends justifies the means but if you believe there is a god and there is a right and there is a wrong then you're limited um and you will not do whatever it takes to win you'll do within the morals what you can and then you trust god for the rest that's why saul linsky said oh, we you just can have- defeat the christians because they won't do whatever it takes to win, but your definition of good is winning. <laughs> so you, you'll do, you'll lie, cheat, steal in order to win. Right. We only have about two minutes left. Uh, you, uh, one of the books I'm holding is uh, Three Secular Reasons Why America Should Be Under God. Can you give us uh, a two-minute uh, cliff notes on the book? Yeah, so do you like having rights the government cannot take away? Yeah. Well, then those rights need to come to you from a power higher than the government. That's why, you know, John F. Kennedy in his inaugural address said the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. Well, guess what? If there is no God, where do the rights come from? Uh, The generosity of the state, the social contract, the group, the mob, the collective. Right. And Mm -hmm. Eisenhower said, uh, if the states gives rights, it can and inevitably will take away those rights. Our founding fathers had to refer to the creator in order to make the revolutionary experiment make sense. We had to claim that we had rights from a source higher than the government, and the government's purpose was to protect our creator-given rights. But if there's no creator, your rights come from the government, the social contract, the group, the collective, and what they give, they can take away. Um, The second uh, concept in the book is, do you like being equal? Yes, everybody likes being equal. Where did that come from? Didn't come from Sharia Islam because women aren't mm-hmm. equal to men and non-Muslims aren't equal to, didn't come from India with the caste system. If you're an untouchable in the lowest caste, you got to clean the sewers. You're not equal to a Brahmin. They're near divinity in that caste. Didn't come from China where they have a, a class system where you have the emperor on top and the royal class and the Confucianism where everybody's, you're born into a class, you die in that class. And the bottom is the Zizia, which is the base people base humanity and that's the slaves and servants and equality didn't originate over there where did it come from it came from the bible where it says uh, god made man and woman in his image male female it didn't say he made jews or hebrews in his no he made man and woman so every human being is equal made in the image of god and the bible says that this god is not a respecter of persons rich or poor everyone is to be treated the same and so that's we just the have concept. we got to wrap things up. We get we get a few seconds. Where can uh, listeners get a hold of your material and learn more about you and your very important ministry? 
Oh, thanks. AmericanMinute.com. AmericanMinute.com. And have a new book on Christmas. So it's called There Really is a Santa Claus, The History of St. Nicholas and Christmas Holiday Traditions. But um, uh, AmericanMinute.com. Thank you so much for coming on. You've been listening to the Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. And until next week, may God richly bless you. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.